Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, thank you for your goodness in our lives. Thank you for the house of God. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the people of God. We count it great honor to be sitting here amongst those who fear God and have been washed by the blood of the lamb and have come to faith in Christ Jesus. We are the answer for the world's problems today, Lord. You are the answer for the world, but we are the ones that live this reality out. And the only hope for salvation is that a preacher would go and take the good news of the gospel to those that have not heard and do not know that we might be effectual witnesses in these last days, Lord, that our lives might speak even louder than our words. The way of life that we have would be attractive to those that are still in darkness, Father. We pray, Father God, that you establish your light in us that overcomes darkness, that your love is greater than offense, that your forgiveness, Lord, is larger than anything that could have happened to us, Lord, and that in us, Lord, you would be the hope of glory. We pray that you would prosper your word in the hearts of your people, that we might capture what is written here for our instruction and that we not depart, Lord, that it would be an admonition and a warning to those who fear God, that we walk in the commandments of the Lord as a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. We pray that you would be glorified and we celebrate you and we see you over all things, Lord. We rise above the storm, above the clouds, above the thunder and lightning, Lord, and the darkness and the gloom to see you shining bright gloriously forever and ever, Lord. Let us walk in that light, Lord. Let us accomplish your purpose in our lives. Bless the families in this church and those that watch us all over the world, Lord, that we would be an example on how to hold on unwavering to faith that is genuine. We pray that you would be glorified and that you prosper your word in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen and amen. Um, we, we're, we're going to have uh, just many things happening at the same time. I always revert back to the book of Joel. We have an example there in the book of Joel, chapter one. The Bible says in the last days, there's gonna be a people that come and they're gonna be warrior-like. Uh, Joel chapter one, verse seven. If you read that with me, you'll see that God is raising up warriors. Um, let's go ahead and, and read that. Let's go to two, seven. Yes. They charge like warriors. So, so the mindset in the last days, and what I'm seeing, um, and I recently saw, and this is real, for the last five years, I've been watching on social media, and I was looking at a pastor, and his whole life was just about befuddling, like laughing and taking things light and, and goofing off and giggling, and everything was, was, you know, on a superficial existence, not going too deep. Because when you go too deep, the, you, you get the, the, the harder things in life uh, are under the surface. Um, in, in order for us to champion this season, you're going to be like a warrior. You, you have to come up to that level on every side. They scale walls like soldiers. One of the things that they teach you at boot camp is that they put you in a, a wooden rack that's about... 12, 15 feet high, and you have to get over that structure. And so a lot of people have said, you listen, your little pity party, uh, get a ladder and, and climb over it and get it behind you. Quit making that the obstacle that holds you back. 
Because let me tell you, it's not going to be easy what confronts us in these days. There's going to be all manner of setbacks and hardships. And if you're a quitter, you're just going to throw the towel. I just told one man that the cowards are first in line to go to the lake of fire. Cowards, way above liars and thieves and murderers and rapists and pedophiles. God does not like the disposition of those that are not willing to fight the good fight. They scale walls like soldiers. They all march in line according to their rank. That's, that's, the, that's the proper translation of this verse. Who are you in the body of Christ and get in the position you belong and, and serve in that capacity? That would quit making excuses about what someone else is doing or why you feel that you can't accomplish. You get in the ranks of the Lord's army and walk, march in line, not bumping into each other like a bunch of buffoons. Your walk in the Lord is not supposed to hinder the walk of somebody else. And somebody else's walk is not to hinder you. As we were having dinner now, right before the new year, my children were talking about the English guard who keep the troops in the palace of the queen. They say from a little child, as the, the, the boys are little in school, they said, whenever you see one of those guys coming in a red coat and one of those big black hats, you better get out of the way because they're not going to stop. And it doesn't matter if you're an old lady or if you're a young boy, you will be trampled by the troops. That's the seriousness of a soldier. He's about what his call is to perform and to be faithful. They all march in line. Listen to what it says, not swerving from the course. You can tell that when, when an army comes together and the soldiers are well-trained and disciplined, they all walk according to their responsibility in the line they are to hold. And many times the church has become a place where jokesters and clowns show up and they want to question why we march in such manner. Let me tell you why. Because our calling is very powerful upon the land. And just a little bit of leaven will ruin the whole lump of bread. Just a little bit of foolishness in the life of a wise man, the Bible says it's like a fly in a bottle of perfume. No one is going to want that ointment. So we have a huge responsibility. And then this is Old Testament revival time. But if you put it into context with the mind of God and everything in Scripture is from God's mindset down, not from us lifting up our fist, arguing with God. That's a wrong position to be in. You lose. Game over. You cannot challenge God. Don't get on that side of the devil's disposition. He wants to turn your heart to argue with God. And God is not to be argued with. God is to be obeyed. These are commandments of the Lord. And he calls each of us to our place in the body of Christ. And you listening to his voice is important because you will gravitate to that position you feel that no one else upon the earth is called to fill. No one else can take your place and replace you. And so in that regards, we go to the New Testament, put it in New Testament admonition. Because a lot of people are weary about the Old Testament, too radical, too intense. But let's go to the New Testament and see the warnings in the book of Jude. Verse 6, the Bible says, a copy of what happened in heaven. If the angels that were in heaven did not keep their proper place, 
And you know what happened? Satan diverted their attention, and the Bible says he took a third of the angels to follow after him. And I always tell people that, that leave their place, who are you following and where are you following them to? We have, can we put it up there please, Jude 6? New Testament, verse 6. The angels, you guys know who they are, who did not keep their positions as the authority God put them in. They each had a place to be to represent God. As I watched this video that we just saw of 2021, there was certain families that purposely decide not to be part of what this church is doing. They're just absent. And so I'm saying, well, if they don't enjoy the fellowship of believers on the earth, how many think they're going to have fellowship with believers in heaven? That's, that's not right. You can't say, I don't like the fellowship of believers here on earth, because that's who's going to be in heaven. And if you don't enjoy the fellowship down here, you're definitely not invited to come up there. God doesn't have a special place in heaven for people that isolate and are alone. That doesn't exist. He's made us all part of the family. And since we are part of the family of God, we all have responsibility. Years ago, Jules would tell me, my little brother, younger brother, Pastor Jules, he would say, the only one who can't leave that church is you. I said, what are you talking about? You think that I'm the only one that's going to answer to God? I, I believe not. I believe all the ones that are supposed to be here who left are in trouble. Because God birthed them and called them to this place to change the world. They could have a pretext. They could, they could abscond. They could say, you're no longer my pastor. That's no longer my church. The angels. God has a measuring judgment. The angels who did not keep their proper domain, but abandoned their dwelling place. He has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on that great day. If this doesn't make chills come up your spine, nothing else will. He says the angels were appointed to a place, not just to occupy a place, but to occupy a function. To do something, God is not going to call you to a place to not be functional. You're going to be in a place because you will serve a function. And your place in the body of Christ is important. Don't let anybody replace you in that place. I'm, I'm reminded also of verse 5. He says, I want to remind you that although... The Lord one time delivered people out of Egypt. He later destroyed those who did not believe. So this is a picture of God calls you out of the world, like he called the people of Israel out of Egypt, but to go into the promised land. But certain people in the journey came up with other priorities and other ideals. And the Bible says he destroyed those. Even though he called them out to salvation, they never got there. One of the verses we read this week was 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. 
He says, who are these people that God killed that were going to the promised, uh, the promised land and died in the journey? Who are these people? Those that were complaining. Do not complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. So that's part of our message for the year of compassion. While some people are complaining and grumbling and getting upset and getting offended, I want to be on the opposite side of that equation. Matthew 24.10 says, Many shall be offended and turn away from their faith and will betray each other and will hate each other. And you see the progression of these moving away from God who says, come together, do not forsake the assembly, stir one another to love and to good works. Get together to do things that please God in heaven. We know what the wicked do when they come together. We know that what they despise. Invite somebody who doesn't love Jesus to the house of God. I'll put some big money on that. They're not going to come. But we go over to their entertainment and pleasure. We, we partake with them in what this joy of this life is, but they would not take and put a step in here. Many will turn away. Many will be offended. Verse 11, he says, and false teachers shall come up. When you turn away by offense, when you hate each other, you fall in false teaching. When I became a Christian 38 years ago, I could not believe that people would be so easily deceived. But when you're offended, like Pastor Joey says, you're a prisoner behind a dungeon's prison, the gates of a prison. When you take offense, when, you, when you're blinded, you can't see, false prophets appear, and not only will many fall away and many be offended, but many will be deceived. And then what happens in that climate, verse 12, the love of many will grow cold because wickedness will increase. And so instead of being more on fire with God's love in our hearts, we grow stale and we grow cold. And so Paul would say in 2 Corinthians eleven two, my passionate sentiments towards you is consistent with godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband, to Christ. He puts it in the relationship that this is your courtship to the man you're going to marry, the bride and Christ. The Lamb of God and the bride married in heaven. What type of wife is he going to pursue? I want to present you as a pure virgin. Not somebody who has thoughts about something or someone else. That your relationship would be pure. That it would be uncontaminated with thoughts in other directions. Verse 3, but I'm afraid, Paul says, that as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion of Christ. Are you really in relationship with the Lord? It will be determined by how you spend your time and what direction your feet take. And then hear, hear what happens when somebody loses their sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Verse 4, 
He says, I fear for someone to come to you and announce another Jesus. Someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached. I've seen Jesus preach like a rebel. Oh, we got to be a rebel like Jesus. Jesus was no rebel. He was obedient to death and death on a cross. And so you'll see all these expressions of the Jesus uh, to do, to be a revolutionary, to do whatever you want. That wasn't the case. He says, I lay down my life because my father has asked me of it. So his disposition is different than the Jesuses that are being preached. And if you receive a different spirit, what's moving you? than the spirit you received or a different gospel that was announced. I, I have a preacher friend of mine who says, look, Joaquin, Jesus did everything on the cross. Man has to do nothing. And I said, well, then let's read Revelations 22, 11, where it says that he who is, let the one who continues to do wrong, to do wrong. Let the dirty person, the vile person, the wicked, the filthy person continue to be filthy. So how is it that we have a disposition to be more closer to God? We have a disposition to be more surrendered to God? Or we have a decision to check out and continue to do our own mindset and be selfish to the core? The one who does right, let him continue to write. And the one who is holy... Continue to walk in that expression of holiness. There is a decision to make and the company that you keep will determine the direction you go. The admonition we have in Psalm 16, 4, and this is what I try to tell people all the time. You want to multiply your sorrows? Then run after another God. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. Your suffering will be multiplied depending on the God that you pursue. But at his right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. I think what Pastor Palma said, he put it succinctly, that the closer you get to where God wants you, you're going to be a greater blessing to those around you and to yourself. That was an awesome word from the Lord. Capture it and put it into your lives in this year. Lord, we want to understand not to run after other gods so that our suffering multiplies more and more. Man, I told somebody... If there's one reason why I gave my heart to the Lord when I was a young man is because I hate suffering. I hate going through unnecessarily through hardship. Why not have times of refreshing when we repent like the Bible says? Psalm 86 verse 15. Lord, you are a compassionate and gracious God. To be like God is to pursue this I was laughing as the pastors were struggling to define compassion. I'll tell you why. Because we have no clue. The best that Pastor Mediero could say says, listen, any attempt of us trying to do compassion is going to be a big, ugly eyesore. It's ugly to see a guy who can't walk try to get up and step. And when you do not have compassion, listen to me. If you do not know the definition of it, and if you do not have it, you can even try to pretend you have it. That's ugly. Almost like smiling without teeth. Don't try to do that because it's going to be ugly. Don't try to show compassion if you don't have it. That's why he says, the Lord's compassion through us. 
That's the only attempt, and, and I want to say this, I'm going to go on record. We don't have compassion. So when you say, don't give your compassion, if it's not God's compassion, it's not going to happen. And so this is a divine expression of divine attributes and characters which God wants us to grow in. I think one of the pastors said that too. You don't flip on a switch. I think it was Pastor Kenny. And all of a sudden you're compassionate. No, you got to mature. You got to grow in Christ. But you, Lord, are compassionate. You're gracious. Look at the, the ox. The, the opposite of compassion is slow to anger. If, you, if you're breaking out in wrath on air, that's the opposite of compassion. And usually people break out in wrath when they're offended. So it's the opposite of offense. So we're, we're going to go in 2022, we're going to creep slowly in the direction to see God. And the Bible says, as we behold him, we are transformed. As we behold him as a reflection on a mirror, he will transform us from glory to glory. And then we get a clue, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So compassionate fights against all the ills of being contrary to God. The devil is offended. The devil is wrathful. The devil wants to devour. Lamentations 3.22, it's because of the Lord's loving kindness that we're not consumed. Because of his tender mercies. Because of his compassion that never fails. There's, there's a, con a component of God's disposition to look upon you opposite from wrath opposite from wrath there's there's certain the bible says the wrath of god is revealed against those who walk in unrighteousness so there's no compassion in the direction of those that purposely walk contrary to god's mindset every time they walk contrary and did what god told them not to do his wrath was revealed against them some people don't like that but that's the character attribute of god some people have distorted God's character saying he has no wrath. He doesn't have the opposite of compassion. He doesn't have anger. Yes, he does. You do not want to be an object of his anger and wrath. Be an object of his mercy and grace. And so in that regards, we don't know what the accuracy is of compassion are. When Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind and show compassion towards one another. Be kind and compassionate. That doesn't describe us outside of Christ. We could be super mean. We could super, be super angry to one another, forgiving each other. A character attribute of compassion is overlooking wrongs. Just as Christ overlooked your wrong and forgave you, you have to imitate Christ to be able to embody compassion. I have the definition here of compassion. Maybe it helps. Compassion is defined and involves the tangible expression of love for those who are suffering. Love embodied in a tangible expression towards those that are suffering. Um, that they, Pastor Richie mentioned uh, compadecer, the Spanish word for compassionate, is come alongside and suffer with. That's what compassion is. Take some of what some hardship of what someone else is going through and carry it, bringing refreshing. 
Compassion is not just the awareness of somebody's suffering. It goes beyond a simple desire to reduce suffering. A compassionate person recognizes the suffering of others, then takes action to help. Moving in the direction is not only feeling and noticing. Some people in our day don't notice and don't feel diddly squat. We have 50 orphans in our church. They don't have a father. They don't have a home to, 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 to have provision. They don't have the abundance that you have. You buy a 60 screen television, then you buy a 100, then you buy 150, and then you buy this one that's 10 by 9. And so we need to be conscious of the fact that around us, people are in need. People have lack. People uh, would be blessed by a new car. People would be blessed by uh, groceries. People would be blessed by, by provision. And so moving in the direction of, of compassion is providing for those that are less fortunate. It says in Colossians 3.12, God, as God's own chosen people, you're holy. You're pure people beloved by God. If this is who you are, clothe yourselves with compassion. Allow this to be an exterior that shows forth your disposition. And then when we do this, we're, we're more like Christ than we ever are. In that regards, we have the expression he gave us in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. An expert in the law came up to Jesus to test him and said, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, love God and love your neighbor. Verse 26. These two components of Coming up, uh, what is your reading of the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? Verse 27. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind. Uh, make sure that there's an increase in your strength towards loving God with all your strength and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. In verse 28, Jesus commended him. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. You will find life. Those two aspects of God and others, loving them, making yourself available, serving them. No greater love has a man than he lays down his life for a friend. Progressively making yourself available to others. You see our calendar and our schedule. We're calendared to be in Portland, Oregon. I've never been there. And they're inviting a thousand men to come and hear us Speak on what is a man. To help men champion their marriages, champion their family, champion their sons, their finances. Giving them an example, an encouragement of hope to champion life. We could be scheduled other things in March. We're out on the first, second, and third week of weekends of March. We'll be in Kentucky for two consecutive weeks. And then we'll be in Pueblo, Colorado at the end of March. Are you going to make yourself available to show compassion on these men? And some guy says, there's nothing good in Oregon. Don't go out there. There's too many liberals. Well, that's what God called us to, to show compassion, to be able to tell them they could champion life. And so we're moving fast and furious in the direction on every, on every manner that we can, even here locally in Miami. It's nonstop. And he says, you've done well, you've answered correctly. Verse 29, 
but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? This is a very serious problem because we have the capacity to be able to do what we're told, but it doesn't flow with the mojo, right? We, we, don't, we don't recognize. If I tell you, listen, go to that house and give them grocery money, that you can do. But to be able to do it and recognize who your neighbor is without people telling you must be God. Listen, the fact that uh, 10 of these pastors stood up here and they were all able to let go of the microphone and not keep preaching. You saw a miracle this morning. He has to ask Jesus, who's my neighbor? Because if I could tell you, look, your neighbor, his name is Fred. He lives next door and he has kids. No, your neighbor is whoever has a need in front of your noses. And God is not going to tell you who that is. You must discern and move in that direction. A lot of people don't like to give because they think they're going to run out. But give and it shall be given to you. You will never have more money than the money you give away. I'll sign right under that statement. The more you give, the more you receive. And I've seen this happen supernaturally throughout the earth. There are men that challenge God. I want to outgive you. The family Kraft Cheese gives 90% of their wealth. And they only keep 10%. They're not tithing their 90th. However you say that word. Because they know that God is a good God. That when he sees you pouring out in compassion towards others, he's going to load you up and all the people say amen. When you give, you're going to see God pour out upon you. And that's what I've seen over the years. Verse 30, he continues on to describe. And Jesus replied and said, there was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That in itself is offensive. Because the people would travel to Jerusalem. This guy was traveling the wrong direction. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. This is a person that is stripped and beat by life. Barely holding on to life. Verse 31. Jesus describes that a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he noticed the man, he passed by on the other side, decided to cross over and distance himself from suffering and grief and loss and need. And he crossed by the other side. I don't know where that other side leads. I imagine not to a good place. Verse 32, it happened also that a Levite, When he came to the same place, had the same opportunity, saw the man beaten and stripped and robbed and passed by on the other side. Listen, I don't know what it takes to pass by on the other side. What what is it that you garner in your juices as a human being to try not to put sadness and difficulty in front of you so you do not confront? that's, That's the greatest thing Jesus was able to do as he empowers us at the minimal, to pray for people. To pray for people. I love the power of prayer. I love to see how God answers those who pray. And, and we, didn't, we weren't raised praying. When we, were, <clears throat> when we were at home and we're going through difficulties, we, we, didn't, we didn't have parents that knew the Lord and that would say, listen, let's go to Jesus. Let's go before God's throne of grace. Let's, let's go ask for help. 
But I've come to know that that's the most powerful place upon the earth because you can be stripped of all worldly wealth, but the power of prayer will bring everything you could ever need because of him who has endless resources. And you tap into him to say, Lord, I need blue skies. I need answer in the midst of darkness. I need you to reveal yourself and your goodness in this person's life. So you don't have to pass by on the other side. You can sit right there with that person, whatever his need is, and kneel down and lift up your eyes to heaven and begin to pray the outlandish prayers. I've done that recently. Many of the women here at the church, their husbands have left them. And they're like, what am I going to do? I have children. I don't have a husband. I said, let's pray so God makes you the richest woman in the world. How do you like that prayer? So then your husband will know that you are husbanded by God. So that the world might see that there's a good God. If we can pray and agree together and ask him to bless and prosper you and not withhold any good thing, I believe God could do it. And so in the power of prayer, because sometimes the burdens that come here at the church are so overwhelming. So overwhelming, but not for God. Not for his shoulders, not for prayer. So the Levite and the priest, I don't know why they crossed over. They must have not been walking with God. And in the midst of that crossroad and path, there was one that God is trying to show us who had compassion on this man. Verse 33, a Samaritan. Listen, for Jesus to be talking to the multitude he's talking to, to an expert in the law, surrounded by all those that are sitting there wanting to see what Jesus says, and he brings up the word Samaritan was like a bad word. It was like an awful word. We don't want to learn anything from a Samaritan. Sometimes our greatest teachers are the people that we can't stand. And you all say amen. The Samaritan was traveling and he came where the man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. That's the word pity. There was something that, that caused him to be identified with that man. And in that identification, verse 34, he drew near. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds and poured out oil and wine, which were the medications and the, the substance to curing ills and infections. And when he put the man on his own donkey, listen, you take a Uber, don't come in my car. We don't want to mess it up. It has white seats. No, come on my donkey. Ride in the provision I have. Ride in the provision I enjoy. He sat him on his donkey and brought him to an inn. I, I always question how far to go in compassion, right? Do we do a little bit? Do we just give him water? I hope they come for you, buddy. You have no chance. I'm not going to give you my oil. My wine is too precious. I can't, I can't give you. This stuff is too costly. The guy's pouring it out. He's bandaging. That's why I told you, don't try to fake compassion. Ask God for authentic, genuine compassion. Ask God to, to look at people as he looks upon you. He brought them to a place of refreshing, a hotel in that day called the inn, and took care of him and stayed overnight. Verse 35, the next day he took out some more money and gave it to the hotel manager, the keeper, 
the owner and said, look after him, get him some help. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any of the expenses you may have. Listen, this guy had integrity because no one's not going to pay and leave an IOU at the door. He must have been known. He must have had character of integrity and faithfulness. And the innkeeper says, sure, we'll keep him until he gets better because you're good for your word. But the, the whole scenario here is that we see Jesus give us a landscape of what we should discuss with our children. And let me tell you something that every truth in the Bible has a balance. Some people grab a truth and they, they do not carry it faithfully. It becomes an untruth. So I've had conversations with people after the message on the 31st. Should I have compassion on this person? Listen, you're not to have compassion on a descarao. If a guy is a thief and a liar and he's going to steal from you, you're not to be a fool. You're to be compassionate. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, I believe it's verse 5, he gives us a description of the man in the last days. He says they have a form of godliness. That means they've already been close to compassion and did not respond to compassion. They've been, they've been given compassion for five years, for 10 years, for 15 years, and they continue to walk in their wickedness. It says they deny God's power, have nothing to do with these people. And that gets confusing because sometimes we say, oh, pastor, we want to bring this wolf into our house and give him some water. I said, you better not. He's going to devour you. You never see Paul saying he's going to be compassionate on a ravenous wolf. He says, I fear lest when I leave, ravenous wolves will come and not have mercy on the sheep. Why wouldn't they come when he was there? He wouldn't allow it. He wouldn't tolerate a ravenous wolf, but he knew as soon as he leave, they would come. And he says, these are the type that draw men after themselves, not after Jesus. They're, they're trying to disturb your walk in the Lord. So Jesus says, anyone who causes one of these, my little ones to stumble, better to have compassion on him. No, better to tie a limestone around his neck and throw him in the water. You don't have compassion on wolves, on those that are pillaging the work and the, the flock of the Lord. And he says it clearly there in Acts chapter 20, verse 29. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Verse 30, also from amongst yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverted things. I can't see myself being compassionate to these people. I don't think I will. They will rise and distort truth in order to draw away disciples, not even believers, disciples after themselves. And so, therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So we got to have a proper measure of this expression. There was a man in California years ago who was going to start our spring of life in San Diego. And when I showed up there, he was there with his wife and two children in a two-bedroom apartment. And when I showed up there, there was a foxy mama 
a young girl about age 35, blonde hair, blue eyes. And she was right in the room next door. And I said, what are you doing? He says, I had compassion on her, brought her into my house. She was prancing around in her undergarments while the family was there at the apartment. I said, listen, you compassionate fellow. I will believe you're compassionate when you have a 400-pound black woman and a cat staying in your apartment. Not a woman who's going to make you fall. And I had her pack her bags and leave that very same night. Not because we didn't have compassion, but because she was there to cause a man of God to stumble. So we have to stop being foolish. We have to stop and be wise and shrewd as a serpent. And so that, in regards, is Christ's understanding for us on how we're to move in that direction. I I want to uh, really, I find it to be a challenge for us. Luke 10, 36, he says, what of these, which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus made it all simple all the time. We make it complicated. Verse 37, the expert of the law replied, the one who showed compassion, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, yes, you answer right. Go and do likewise. So we're living some very challenging times. And I believe this is the word of the hour for our church. And I believe we're going to perfect this in our lives. And we're not going to be part of the devil's snare in the last days. While people are walking in spite, in vengeance, in offense, and unforgiveness, we're going to walk in love, mercy, and compassion. And we're waiting for Jesus to come back for that people. Let's stand this morning. Father, we praise you. We bless you. And we thank you for this word. We pray, Lord, that we not only uh, consider these things, but that they would become a reality in our lives as we grow in you. Give us a heart according to your heart. Let us feel what you feel, Lord. Let us move in the direction of, of loving truth and showing compassion and have random acts of love towards people. If we see people uh, at a dining room, Lord, let us tip them so that they see we're not normal. That we're, we understand the hard work that they put into their service and that we might refresh them and cause joy for their hard labor. In our work, Lord, in our workplace, we might lessen the load and the burden to those that are around us. I mean, we be a refreshing while other people are cursing. We are blessing, oh God. We are lifting up. We are praying. We are persevering. We want to please you in season and out of season. Be glorified through us. And allow us to be perfected according to you in the last days, Lord. Thank you for the fellowship of the saints. Thank you for the gathering of those who love you, O God, and serve you and persevere to the end. In Jesus' name we pray and the house of God says, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. See you on Wednesday night. No men's uh, meetings on Monday night until the fast is over, okay? That's our roadmap. Um, But we continue to fast and we continue to pray. God bless you. I love you. See you Wednesday night at 7.